we know that there is a tie-in between engagement and productivity and business outcomes. But there is also a tie-in. We've actually done some research between well-being behaviors that drives engagement, that then drives business outcomes. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Workforce Inside, the podcast for business leaders looking for fresh insights and solutions to today's most pressing workforce challenges. I'm your host, Bhushan Sethi, Joint Global People and Organization Leader at PwC. In each episode, you'll receive new ideas from experienced practitioners who are helping employers drive workforce transformation. On today's episode, we'll be digging into a topic many people are wrestling with right now, mental health and well-being. How can you better support your employees and your organization's wellness goals now, during the pandemic, as well as in the future? Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Christine Rondazzo, co-lead of PwC's Global Rewards and Benefits Capability, and Deanne Awesome, our well-being leader for PwC in the U.S. and Mexico. Christine and Deanne, hello and welcome. Thanks so much, Bushan. Very happy to be here today. Delighted to be with you, Bushan. Thank you. Wonderful. So we've got the really difficult questions at the start. The first one's to you, Christine. Which season fits your personality? Definitely the fall. I think it's the Libra in me that likes the balance kind of right in between the summer and the winter. Wonderful. And Deanne, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, many things, but I really wanted to be a veterinarian. I love animals and and have two dogs and two cats today. Wonderful. So we've got to focus on the fall and we've got to focus on caring for animals. So well-being is a very big topic right now. This was really heightened through the pandemic when people really focused on the longevity of the pandemic, the mental health, the physical health, the big concerns. So Christine, you've been a practitioner in this area for a while. How are you how are you defining well-being now to all of your clients? And maybe kind of give us give us some kind of opening remarks. Sure. Well, I'm going to simplify this a lot because we could spend lots of time talking about definitions from studies and psychologists and sociologists. But at the end of the day, I think actually each one of us knows what it feels like to be well. It's the feeling of being energized, fulfilled, dare I say, happy, and really just being your best self, whether that's from a work context or a personal context. And honestly, what drives that in each individual is very, very different and changes over time. I think from an employer perspective, there's been a shift in view of well-being. And, you know, I'd say broadly, we've seen in the last several years, employers shifting from having a very much a focus on physical health and wellness towards a more holistic well-being concept. And at the same time, there's been an evolution in many cases from well-being as a benefit to really part of culture and work environment. So while there was absolutely, you know, chatter about well-being before COVID over the last couple of months, COVID has shined a very bright light on this topic. And the interesting thing is we are seeing a real divergence in what employers are doing or what they think they're doing versus what employees feel about what their employers are doing. So in our recent poll survey, 84% of CFOs strongly or somewhat agreed that their company has successfully addressed employee wellness, which we thought was a you know super strong high number there. But on the other side of things, only a third of employees, 31%, strongly agreed that their company has successfully addressed 
their employee well-being, including mental health and morale. And that number was actually lower for remote workers and female workers. So obviously, there's a huge opportunity here. You know, we've had numerous studies, public studies that have quantified the toll mental health has on economies, lost work days, the linkage between mental health and physical health, which affects bottom line, healthcare costs. And honestly, we, we intuitively know that the pandemic is going to make this situation even worse, has, and will continue to make this worse. So the silver lining here is that we're at a real critical turning point for employers. The rules are being rewritten on so many levels, and this is an opportunity to get this right. It's an opportunity to build a connection with your people, make a difference in your lives while helping them perform at their best so that they could execute on your business strategy. Great. Thanks, Christine. So no longer do we need to build a case for change around well-being or even define it. It feels like we're broadening the definition. Deanne, I want to bring you in here. As you think about designing this for us as a firm, how has well-being changed for you? What are our priorities when we think about well-being and how do they connect to the business outcomes we're trying to drive? Yeah, well, thanks for that, Bouchon. We've actually been embedding well-being into our marquee leadership development experiences for over a decade. And here at PwC, we clearly define well-being as a leadership skill, one that we teach and build up in our people. But in 2017, we really doubled down and launched Be Well, Work Well. That's what we call our internal well-being priority. And we launched Be Well, Work Well to really further cement well-being as a strategic imperative. And we've really been focused since then on integrating these concepts and practices into our ways of working with each other on a day-to-day basis. So this is something we talk about every day. Now, as Christine said, these last nine months really have been especially challenging for reasons that we're all familiar with. The pandemic, racial inequities, the recent election in the U.S., the shift to remote work for so many, homeschooling for parents, increased feelings of isolation for those that are are living on their own, and the list goes on. And so inside of our firm, the focus on mental and emotional well-being has really been especially targeted over these last nine months. And so to your question, one of those targeted actions that we've taken is our green light to talk effort. And this is a series of videos, scenarios, and discussion guides that are focused on signs and signals for when we or when others might need help. So what we're really trying to do is destigmatize the conversation around mental health because it's one that is not going away anytime soon. Every person in the world right now has something in common through this pandemic. We've all been through trauma. And depending on your circumstances, that may be a capital T trauma or a lowercase t trauma, but it's trauma just the same. And our mental and emotional states have been impacted. So we are really focused on enabling and creating these safe spaces for people to talk about what they're going through, ask for the help that they need, and also provide the resources to support them when they need it. And that's really what our Green Light to Talk effort aims to do. That's great. Thanks for that, Deanne. So, Christine, as we think about the here and now, where what our clients are dealing with, I think one thing that you and I have worked on together, we've seen very well highlighted during this pandemic, is there's no one-size-fits-all around well-being, and there's a real personalized approach based on people's needs. How are you helping clients in different industries, whether they be remote workers, on-site workers? How are you helping them think through what well-being means for them, how it drives the right benefits, how it links to their working culture? 
you know, one thing here, especially about the diversity of needs, that's another thing that I think the pandemic has shown us is that everyone is experiencing this a different way. And the coping mechanisms or the benefits or policies that works for one person may be completely irrelevant for the next person. So it is super important to really think about personas, use employee listening insights to understand what your people are going through to help you prioritize. But there's a balance here in that you do need to offer a breadth of solutions because, again, well-being means something differently to everyone. Everyone has slightly different needs and they be able to pull kind of the right levers at the right times in their life. But make sure you're doing that in a focused way because, you know, you can't be everything to everyone at all times. But, you know, Bashan, you talked a little bit about culture and purpose, which I think is so important with this because each company is really on its own journey. And we often work with our clients to progress a strategy over time that really starts with you need a foundation of the right benefits, the right technology, the right apps, but building that over time to incorporate broader dimensions of well-being and ultimately working well-being into your culture, into your everyday ways of working for individuals and how they work with one another. Because you can have the best tech, the best benefits, the best policies, but if people don't know about them, if they can't access them, or if they don't feel like they have permission to use them, there's a real risk that it's all going to fall very flat. So creating that expectation that people take care of themselves, take care of one another, really I think makes the most difference and, and, and makes the strategy be as effective as you can. Just one other word on technology too, which is so important in two different ways. You know, one is there are a ton of fantastic solutions out there from on-demand therapy to meditation apps, sleep apps. So employers really do have an opportunity to build a bespoke suite of tools and resources that their employees can use depending on their individual needs. But they also need to be presented in a way that makes sense. They can't be overwhelming. So having a hub, an aggregator, sort of a one-stop shop for all these great solutions is also very important. And there are technology solutions out there that do that too. So what I'm hearing is we don't need to work on the definition. We all know the importance of it to the business. It absolutely links with culture. And there's a set of tools out there to use. But Deanne, I want to bring you in here. What gets in the way? Because what connects a lot of those issues, and you mentioned it earlier, is leadership. So how do you think about leadership's role to drive an effective well-being strategy to deliver on what Christine described? Yeah, it's really, really important to have that leadership buy-in, to have not only that tone at the top from that highest level strategic, this is a priority, this matters type of perspective and role modeling happening. But in our organization, it's equally important because our people live in teams to have that same level of buy-in and support and camaraderie around the topic at that engagement team level. Of course, it's, as Christine said, well-being is very individual. It means something different to different people. It's never going to be a one-size-fits-all solution, which is why it's important to have a variety of offerings. One of the things that we do that we've seen work well and kind of remove some of those barriers that can get in the way are team plans. So we have well-being team plans that we ask all of our people to be on, to be members of where you can select habits that are important to you. And more than the plan itself, which we know planning for things is obviously an important thing to do. 
We plan for our vacations. Why not proactively plan for our well-being and the well-being of our teams? What we've learned is that it opens up that safe space to have the conversation to ask for what you need. So, Christine, when you said people need the permission, they need to feel empowered they need the safe space. Role modeling that Bouchon, having a plan in place to open up space for those conversations, I would say are very, very important elements to making this all work. And one other thing leadership has really focused on during the pandemic is thinking about how to reset measures. So we know that productivity can only be sustainable if you bake in well-being and you bake in rest and recovery. And Christine, you talked about the need to kind of understand employee sentiment and employee data. How are we advising clients as they think about 2021 and they think about the set of measures they have around well-being? How do the measures around well-being connect to what they're trying to drive from a business perspective? Well, I do think it's very important because there's a business case here that obviously well-being is good for your people. I actually had a mentor who always used to say that employee engagement is what an employer always wants out of their employees, but well-being is actually what the employees want out of the employer. And we know that there is a tie-in between engagement and productivity and business outcomes. But there is also a tie-in. We've actually done some research between well-being behaviors that drives engagement, that then drives business outcomes. So, you know, again, I think there's a real chance here to actually not only help your employees very holistically, but enable them to execute efficiently well on your business strategy, which is so critical in today's times. And Bouchon, if I could just jump in and and tack on to what Christine was saying there, speaking about 2021 and even beyond, well-being has historically been viewed as something maybe a little more private, maybe a little more personal to us as individuals. And of course, it is personal. It's never going to look the same as we've talked about for everyone. Our needs are different. Our needs are unique. However, in the future, I really do believe, and we're doing this pretty well right now ourselves, that well-being will become and should become more of a team sport. So as Christine was alluding to, one where employers and extended communities really step up their involvement, they step up their support for those in their care in a variety of different ways. So really how organizations are positioning well-being, not only the quantitative, but also the qualitative importance that they're giving to well-being as that key ingredient required for a thriving culture, a culture that attracts and retains top talent, that's really going to be a differentiator. It's something that people are actively seeking out. And I'm talking beyond the medical benefits, beyond the gym memberships. Those are, of course, important. However, companies that really opt in and pay more attention to prevention right now to that looming mental health crisis that really is upon us are far more likely to be employers of choice. I love the point, Deanne, you made around the community. So it's no longer about the well-being just of your own company, but of people in other companies and your suppliers and your customers. And how are you as an organization working with that community, which again brings us back to, Christine, as you mentioned, purpose and culture. One question I had, Christine, for you financial well-being. So we've talked about kind of mental and physical, but given the level of debt in some cohorts, given student debt, how are we advising our clients around financial well-being in 2021 and 22? 
This is a tricky one, right? Because, you know, retirement benefits have been one of those benefits that companies are revisiting due to the the economic constraints. But I think it honestly falls into the same bucket because financial wellness does drive stress in people. And obviously, for good reason right now, we have market volatility, job insecurity, in some cases, cut wages. And I think, again, broadening the definition of what you're doing to support your employees beyond just necessarily that 401k benefit, are you offering them access to advice that helps them look at their financial picture more holistically, you know, their total amount of debt, their student loan benefits, and how all those things fit together to support them in the future. So hugely important and definitely needs to be a critical component of the conversation. That's great. And so as we look ahead to 2021 and we think about our clients and what priority actions they can take, Christine, to stick with you, what are you seeing as the priorities for clients that you would recommend right now? So Bushan, I could say that the one piece of advice that I give to employers as they go through this process is to include your employees in the process. People own what they create, and we have so many great ways now to listen to employees to understand what they would value and what's going to be meaningful to them, right? And you can do it in many different forums. You can do it in traditional focus groups, traditional surveys, all the way to digitally enabled, tech-enabled employee listening, preference analytics, etc. But this is a way to boil it down, right? Employers thinking that this is such a broad topic, you know, you can't boil the ocean. So how do you pull out those strands of things that are really going to be meaningful and valuable to people? It's actually quite simple. You ask them. You ask them what they need. That also allows you to really help craft a solution that's going to feel very personalized to your employees. I think we live in a world now where people feel that they have the ability to choose kind of what's right for them at any given time. I think all the time with my kids, you know, growing up in a world where they have everything at their fingertips, you know, the thought of having to have rigid channels would probably make their brains explode. So, you know, this idea of people being able to craft something, pull different levers from the employer to create a set of solutions that are going to work for them is so important. And Deanne, what are you seeing as priorities for clients to address? Well, I would reinforce what Christine said about listening. And I would also add activating those citizen-led efforts wherever possible. Because when we do have that shared sense of ownership and we are empowering people to step into that change that they want, it's really powerful. I would also add, and I mentioned this earlier, but I'll, I'll add it again, that role modeling with both vulnerability and humility is really important. We all have a story. We all have something we've struggled with or are currently struggling with. And the more that we are willing to share that, the more possibility that we have to inspire others to do the same. And just a short sidebar, I was having a conversation with a colleague last week who went on to tell me about a session that she had recently had with her therapist. And she said, see, I can tell you this now because we talked about mental health and the importance of opening up on a firm-wide town hall. And now I feel safe to speak up. So sometimes people just need a small sign to feel safe in taking action. So role modeling is really, really important. Christine, we've obviously taken away the stigma of mental health issues now. What would your advice be to companies that just see this as a passing fad and, you know, by 2022, we'll be on to something else? Do we see this as enduring and lasting beyond the pandemic in a post-vaccine world? 
I do, because I, I think, Bouchon, that this was a huge issue even before the pandemic. I mean, the statistics were staggering. One in five adults, I think, were facing a mental health condition each year. So, you know, even that in itself, it's unfortunate that, you know, the, the pandemic is kind of what it took employers to really focus on this. But I think it's what employees really need. I think it's what they want. You know, pay and benefits no longer does it to get the top talent and to retain them. And I think if employers really show that they care, and give employees the tools and resources to support them more holistically, that is the kind of connection that is going to last a career. And Deanne, one thing we see an appetite for more in the business world now is multi-stakeholder solutions. So policymakers and business leaders getting together, maybe with educators to say, how do we build back better? How do we reskill? When I apply that same logic around how do you bring different stakeholders into the well-being dialogue and solve this once and for all, whether it's family members, whether it's customers, how are we thinking about that topic in 2021? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question and one we need to continue to talk about and think about together. So the communities of interest and how we all come together around this topic, really important. And I think like many other things, people have to see themselves in it. Sometimes when we talk about mental health, people say, well, I, I'm fine. I might be a little anxious or nervous or feeling overwhelmed. But again, destigmatizing and opening up that conversation so that people do see themselves in it and they have a stake in it, going back to that team sport analogy is going to be really, really important and layering it in at every level, making it part of those strategic conversations, making it accessible so that when we offer a benefit that is able to be extended to someone's children or family member or dependent, that matters. That means something. Having these very operational tools like team plans or a habit bank that people can make withdrawals from and deposits into around what are these rituals that I want to incorporate or that we should be thinking more about. Approaching it with that multi-prong, that multi-layer approach just sets things up for even greater success and more personalization at the individual, at the team, and really at that broader societal level even. And Bushan, really just in the spirit of sharing, I wanted to make your listeners aware that we do make this information available externally. So if you just search for PwC Wellbeing, you'll be able to find a version of our habit bank with a, a list of habits by energy dimension for inspiration. So please check that out. Thank you. And I can't finish a podcast with two well-being experts without making this a little personal. So starting with you, Christine, what's your go-to well-being hack or when kind of the thing that really energizes you? And then the same question to Deanne. So it's going to sound really simple, but I am trying to shut my computer off for 45 minutes during the day. I think we've all felt kind of, you know, the lines between work and personal life, especially working remotely, has been really tough. And it's something that I've tried to practice, but got out of practice over the last couple of months. And the other day, I just took a break during the, the day to get a cup of coffee at a local deli. And it was it was amazing. Well, for me, I really am working on big and small ways to spark joy, to really take care of my emotional well-being right now, and also practice gratitude. So not only showing appreciation for others, but also taking a, a few moments, those mindful moments throughout the day to just pause and reflect for all that I have to be grateful for. That's really helped me remain positive, find those silver linings, and just continue to thrive through all that we're going through right now. 
So shutting down and finding joy. Absolutely love it. Thank you very much, Christine and Deanne, for sharing your stories. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Workforce Inside. For more insights into how to tackle your organization's workforce challenges, please visit our website and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. I'm Bouchard Sethi at PwC. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.